Well, before we begin our Torah study this morning, let's pray together. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Amen. This morning's message is is titled, The Power of Gratitude. And I want to talk to you about how powerful being thankful and grateful is when it's joined together in our prayers. And I want to continue with this theme that we explored at our Wednesday night online prayer meeting. That was a great time praying for one another. And it was the first prayer meeting of the year of the Jewish year, that is, of the new year. And thank you, Sandy, for pointing that out to me. It was a wonderful time of prayer, and there was a lot of thanksgiving, and we were remembering what God has done. We were anticipating what God will do. We were praying with the power of gratitude. And just to recall some of the things that we were remembering with gratitude, we were remembering that it was Stephen Rose's birthday. So congratulations, Stephen Rose. He's, he's a little shy. You wouldn't know that, but he's a little shy. And it was also uh, remembering Deja Siegler's birthday. She turned 30 years old this past week. And we remembered, Sandy and I were giving thanks to the Lord because two of our grandchildren turned 21 years old during this month. And uh, we are thanking the Lord for these grandchildren. Our oldest grandchild is 25, and we'll be married next, uh, this coming spring. We're excited about that. And we're thanking the Lord. We were thanking the Lord also and rejoicing with the Ragundis. They had uh, the joy of seeing their first granddaughter born. Uh, Isla was born. And so congratulations to David and Carolina. And we're thanking the Lord. She's quite beautiful, actually. You know, everybody says that about babies, but it's not exactly true for all babies. (laughs) But this is really a, a beautiful baby. And we're thanking the Lord as well for Alex Rose, who will be here. Uh, He has been here, but he will be here for Kol Nidre, and he will be playing violin as part of the Kol Nidre Quartet. So we're rejoicing for the healing that's taking place and his ability to play violin together as well. And we were rejoicing as well, thanking the Lord for Steve Mowry, who had some good progress and was feeling somewhat better. He had a bout of uh, real difficult vertigo uh, last week and needed to rest up, had some progress. And I'm the kind of person, I think you may be too, who wants to thank the Lord for every step of progress. When things start getting better, I thank the Lord. Now, some people are very superstitious. They don't want to thank God until everything is completely done and settled. And they're the kind of people who, you know, they knock on wood or they knock on wood or they don't know how safe it will be. 
how much they can trust that the good that God has started, he will bring into completion. But I believe that when we recognize the goodness of the Lord step by step, he does even more. So you can determine whether you're a superstitious person or whether you have great confidence in God by whether you're reluctant to say thank you to the Lord when things start getting better or when they are even temporarily better. Because some things will go through cycles, and when you're in a good cycle, thank the Lord for that. We thank the Lord for food whenever we eat it, right? But it's also, think about it, it's good that we're not eating food 24-7. That would be terrible. We'd just be like a giant garbage disposal or something. We have certain good things and certain blessings at certain times, and we thank the Lord. We thank the Lord and we honor him. We also were thanking the Lord for the delightful surprise. Alicia Sullivan joined us from Charlotte. She came down from Charlotte, and I was so surprised. I didn't know she was coming. Others did, but she was surprising us. And she was right there on the worship team, like the like the days before she had moved to Charlotte. And I looked and was like, I can't believe she was here. I was just so happy to see her. It was such a great blessing. And I know it was a blessing for a number of you. And she wanted to be here with us for Rosh Hashanah and to worship with us on Friday night and Saturday. It, it was just great. And I believe in, in recognizing the blessings that God is giving us, that he has given us, and to thank him for that. In, in fact, those of you who are participating online, I would encourage you to start thinking about something good that God has done for you that you want to thank him for, and then write about it in the comment section. I'm going to give you a little head start, but do it before this message is over so that other people can rejoice with you as well. And those of you who are in the sanctuary, you can do the same. You can begin to think about what you're thankful for. Now, there's certain benefits of praying with gratitude. And there are practical approaches about how to do it and how to be strong in doing it. And we can learn from Paul's description in Philippians chapter 4. So I would encourage you to turn to Philippians or flip to it or touch your digital Bible. Let me just summarize a few of the benefits before we look at the Scripture. Here's the, the biggest one. The peace of God will protect you and protect your heart and your mind. The shalom of God, I believe, will invigorate your faith and your hope and will give you what I like to call a kadima attitude about the future. What does kadima mean? It means forward, charge, let's go. The benefits of praying with gratitude are that God's own shalom, not your shalom, his shalom, will guard your heart 
And that means your emotions, your feelings, your motivations, even your perspective. God's own shalom will guard your mind, your thoughts, what you mull over, the things that are on your mind when you're trying to get to sleep or the things that pop into your mind when you wake up. He will guard you. Now let's turn to Philippians 4, verses 6 through 8. We'll read this passage, and I want you to notice both the benefits and the practices, the practical approaches that are described here. Philippians 4, verses 6 through 8. Be anxious for nothing. Instead, pray about everything. And with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, the shalom of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Messiah Yeshua. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. I think most of us can confirm that anxiousness and worry can play real head games with us. And we can find ourselves worrying. Many people have the unexamined practice, thinking that if they worry enough, that God will do something. But that's not how God works. He asks us to cast our worries upon him and our anxieties upon him. And, and some of us think that if we fetch enough, if we complain long enough, God will see and he will hear and he will respond to the fetching. And yet that's not true. It's actually with thanksgiving that God takes notice. When we take notice of God's goodness and we remember what he has done and we're thankful for what he has done, then it changes how we see things. It changes our perspective. And yet it is easier for many people to worry or to think that things are not going to get worked out. It's easier to complain. It reminds me of the three old friends, old guys, sitting on a park bench in Tel Aviv. And one of them says, Oi! And the other one says, Oi vey. And the third one says, I thought we agreed we wouldn't talk about our kids. <laughs> there are folks who, who come to everything with a sad attitude, with a complaint in the heart. Paul was speaking about the times when we're worrying about what's ahead, or worrying about what has happened, or we're, we're like torn up or, or paralyzed, and he tells us pray with thanksgiving. That means pray with gratitude. 
and we have to train ourselves to do that. The benefits of praying with gratitude do require that you have gratitude. And that gratitude, that thanksgiving, will start to push out worry and anxiety. You can't just stop being anxious and worrying, but you can start being grateful. And the gratitude, the thanksgiving, will push away the worry. And even so, we have to develop our thinking. That's what Paul is writing about in verse 8. He says, think on these things. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think on these things. And this does not necessarily come easily. For some people, it's absolutely contrary to their temperament or their personality. And you can examine yourself to know this. You can, if you're not sure, if you're like this, just ask your spouse. Am I more expressive of my negativity, my worry, my fears? Ask someone if you don't know about yourself. But for many people, the personality and the temperament have never been brought under the spiritual authority of the Lord. For others, it's, it's hard to think in a positive way when you're facing serious problems, such as a life-threatening illness or a major surgery or financial stress or family relationship issues, or betrayal, or unfaithfulness, or even death. And I, I want to say something. We're not talking about how to be in denial of the seriousness of issues that we're facing. It's not about being a Pollyanna. It's not about pretending not to worry when deep down we are worrying. It's about developing a spiritual discipline that becomes strong in us and a practice that requires spiritual strength that has to be developed. And it actually requires that we develop a number of what you could call spiritual muscles. So I want to connect what Paul wrote about in Philippians to the psalm in chapter 40, verse 5. It says this, Many, O Lord, my God, are the wonders you have done and the plans you have for us. None can compare to you. If I proclaim and declare them, they are more than I can count. So there are two parts here at the beginning. The wonders you have done already. I want you to take note of that. What are we thanking the Lord for? We're thanking him for all the awesome things that he has already done for us or for others. And then the plans that you have for us, which are for the future and they are ahead, 
but I want you to think about this. The plans that God has will unfold in the future, but they are present with him now, and they have been present. So when you're giving thanks to the Lord for what's ahead and, and his good plans for you, you're catching up with him. Now, this is also spoken of in a way in Jeremiah 29, 11, and I think this is a favorite scripture for a lot of people. It's one of my favorites. Jeremiah 29, verse 11. The Lord says, I know the plans I have for you. Plans for good and to prosper you and not for harm or evil. Plans to give you a future and a hope. And the Jewish Publication Society translation, going back to the 1917 version, which is a classic and one of my favorites, translates it this way. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of shalom and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. In simple language, the Lord is saying, I know the way I'm thinking about you. And I know what I want to do for you. And I want you to know how I think. I want to give you shalom. And I plan to prosper you with my shalom. I plan to prosper you in all the different areas of your life. That's what I want. I don't want evil or harm for you. I want you to have hope. I want you to have a future. And I've noticed when, when people are in the midst of some unresolved or uncertain difficulty, they often begin to question God's plans and his attitude about them. Why am I going through this if God is good? That's very different than saying, because God is good, I know I will go through this and there will be something on the other side. God's plans for good are connected to what God has already accomplished. And so what do we do? We remember his goodness and we thank him in detail. Many, O oh Lord my God, are the wonders you have done and the plans you have for us. Carolina and I were texting back and forth, even in the middle of the night, as I remember, <laughs> about the, the challenges that Camila was having in giving birth. And it was difficult, and it was painful for her. And the doctors were having some... some uh, real difficulty in relieving the pain so that she could give birth. But you know what? That part's over. It's over, so what can we say? God heard our prayers. He answered our prayers, yes? And now there's a beautiful baby, Isla. Beautiful baby. And so we rejoice. We reframe our troubles because we know how things turned out. And we take the sorrows that we had 
and we bring them to the Lord and we say, Lord, you turn my mourning into dancing. You changed everything. But we have to also remember that before things have come to an end. And so remembering helps us anticipate. Remembering prepares us for the good that God wants to do. And that's why there's that connection that the psalmist makes. Many, O Lord my God, are the wonders you have done. Say with me, have done. You could even say it this way, have done already. And many are the plans you have for us ahead. Do you see the connection? Remembering the good that God has done changes how we perceive what God plans to do and what he wants to do. We take time to thank him. We take time to remember. We take time to recount and to describe to him. And so the Lord says, I know the thoughts that I think toward you. And Paul says, be careful about the thoughts that you think about life. Think about what's excellent. Think about what's good. Think about what's honorable. Think about what's true. So how do you think about those things? That's a good question to ask yourself. When do you do your thinking? How do you think? Some people do a lot of thinking by writing. They try to put into words what they're thinking. That's a very effective way. Some people will read. They may read what they have written before. They may read what others are reading. They may what others have written. They may read the scriptures. And as they're reading things, their mind begins to open up. Some people think by relaxing. Some people think by playing certain kinds of games. I play Wordle every day. Anybody else a Wordle fan? Not many. You sad, sad people. You don't know the joy. I play Connections every day. How many play Connections? It's one, okay. We got something in common. I play, uh, what's it called? Spelling Bee, I think it is. It's another one of those games. And while I'm playing those games, I'm both thinking about how to solve the game, but my mind also is free and it thinks about other things as well. And so when, when good things come to mind while I'm playing one of those games, I thank the Lord. Thank you, Lord, for this. I allow that freedom and that simplicity of, of being when I'm relaxed to help me thank the Lord. And then when a worrisome thought or an intrusive thought comes, you know what I do? I Thank the Lord for the good things he has done already in my life. And I anticipate what he's going to do with expectation. We're also told to remember. Some people are good at journaling. My wife, I think, is on her 80th journal, which is really connected to her Bible reading and her prayer time. We journal 
some of us remember by reviewing our notes, we recount, we tell other people what we remember. It's good to do this. And we talk to God about what we remember. And so you can ask yourself, how do you do your remembering? And if your answer is, I can't remember, then you've got to develop some methods to build up your memory. And then there's more to it. We speak about the wonders that the Lord has done. And it helps to have notes. It helps to have records so that you can and, and to use your memory, but also to use your voice. Tell other people the good things that God has done. Speak up. And this is what I've learned. As we actively remember the good that God has done, it shapes how we view what God will do. It shapes how we view the serious issues that we're facing. It shapes how we pray about those serious issues. And it, in an amazing way, unites our past, our present, and our future. And that allows what, what Solomon called eternity in the heart, the timelessness of God to do its work. And we start believing, I think, with confidence what God plans to do. And then we can take seriously the statement in Jeremiah 29, 11, and we can apply that to our own lives. God has plans for good. Now, if you're sitting next to someone who you, who you like at all, smile at them and tell them God has plans for good for you. God has plans for good. Now, if you're not sitting next to someone, you can look at me and smile at me. And all of you sitting by yourself, you can tell me God has plans for good. And I'll tell you, God has plans for good for you. And he wants to give you a hope. And he wants to give you a future. Our spiritual understanding develops, it improves, it grows stronger through this. And there's one more thing that we can do. We can face our weaknesses. When we see that God wants to do good for us and he has a hope and a future for us, then we can face our weaknesses. I was talking with a pastor friend this week, and we were talking about common American theology that just tries to tell everybody that they're already great and tries to cheerlead by ignoring human difficulty and weakness and just focusing on the good side of people. There's a limit to that because God has good in mind for us. He loves us, and he wants us to love ourselves so that we can love him and love others. And he wants us to love ourselves with the love that he has, which is a love that sees our strengths and our weaknesses. And he knows this, that we can't just focus on our strengths. We also have to focus on our weaknesses. That's one of the geniuses of the Yom Kippur service. We're dealing with our weaknesses. We're not really talking about any of our strengths. That can be depressing for some people, 
but it's effective for all people if we take it to heart. We can face our weaknesses. Example, negative attitudes, unhealthy fears, immature responses. We've all got some of these, so it's good to know which ones you have. Can I tell you the truth? We all have a dark side. Don't start crying. <laughs> we all have a dark side. And this helps us face our weaknesses and effectively work on them. And it can be an emotional dark side or a dark side in our thoughts or in the things that we do that we wouldn't want anybody to know about. But I can tell you this, we can find confidence in the Lord to face our weaknesses. So it's not just trying to feel good, it's facing our weaknesses so that we can get stronger. And it's not facing our weaknesses so that we can get good enough to be accepted by God. He loves us, he knows us, he knows our frailties, he knows the truth of our weaknesses, and that is part of the message of the Torah portion that we read this week, where Moses and the Lord are sharing with us Moses' weaknesses. Deuteronomy 32. You can turn there. Moses is about to die. And we can learn something about death by seeing how he faces it. He's getting ready for the fact that he's about to die. He honestly faces his own weaknesses. He says something like this, the defect is in us. God's ways are true and good. And Moses is demonstrating for us the life of faith and hope and love, and I'm pretty sure he's disappointed. He's disappointed in himself. He's disappointed that he won't go into the promised land, but he continues to be a man of faith and a man of hope. And I want to tell you something if you're a grandfather or a grandmother or a great-grandfather or a great-grandmother, Moses is a good example for us. And we can face our elder years with power and with integrity, and we can be an example to our children and our grandchildren. That's what Moses is doing. It. That's what Moses is doing. He's facing his limits and his weaknesses. And yet he's filled with hope, and he's filled with faith. He's being told, you're not going to go in. You're going to see it from a distance, that promised land that I'm giving to the children of Israel, not your promised land, my promised land for them. Moses doesn't know at that point that he will set foot on a certain mountain, at a certain time, with Elijah and Yeshua, 
and a few of Yeshua's disciples, and it'll be a pretty amazing event. But even so, Moses is praising the Lord and he's thanking the Lord because he understands his life has been meaningful and important. And it's not everything that he wanted, but it's been fantastic. And Moses was doing that with the children of Israel, but he's still doing it today. He's still doing it? How can I say that? And I'll tell you how. Because he wrote down the words that we can read, and his story, and his life, and, and his words are still powerful. They're part of the Word of God. They're active and alive, and they have an effect on us. Moses is still influencing us for good. And I think he's a great example. So learn to write. If you don't know how to write, learn to write. Learn to get your thoughts clear. Pass on your thoughts to others. Moses wanted everyone to know there is a good future ahead for the children of Israel. And he showed us by example that just because he was disappointed in himself and just because he had weaknesses and just because he wouldn't go in, God was still faithful. God was still faithful. And things were going to be fulfilled. There was a good future ahead. And so you know what he does? He sings a song. He sings a song to Israel about the Lord. And here's a part of it. It's in Deuteronomy 32, verses 3 and 4. I will proclaim the name of Adonai. Come declare the greatness of our God. So he's saying, I'm going to declare. You join me. The rock. His work is perfect, for all his ways are just. A trustworthy God who does no wrong, he's righteous and straight. And elsewhere in, in Deuteronomy 32, he says, The rock of our salvation, the rock who begot us, the rock who fathered us, the rock who brought you forth, the God who gave you birth. That's our God, our rock and our redeemer. He's our rock and our fortress. And he was telling Israel this by singing a song to Israel. And this is something that King David learned. And he wrote a song, too. It was part of the song is read in Sephardic congregations this weekend in the Sephardic Haftorah in 2 Samuel 22, verse 47. David sings, Chai Adonai, Adonai is alive, blessed is my rock, exalted be God, the rock of my salvation. And it turns out that Moses sang another version on this same theme, and he taught Israel to do the same so that they could join in with him. It's in Exodus 15, verses 1 and 2. It's an earlier version. Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. This is after they made it across the Red Sea. I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. The horse and rider he's thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He's become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. So how could they all sing that same song? It had to be that Moses taught them the song. Maybe he started singing it, and people responded by singing it with him. They heard what he said. They echoed it. If you're a music teacher, 
like Brian Rose. You know how to teach a group of people how to sing a song, how to teach them right then and there how to sing it. And Moses, I think, was like a music teacher because he also wrote songs. He was a composer, but he taught songs to Israel that they would learn to sing. And then one more reference. I think it's a fascinating one in the book of Revelation, chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. And all you composers and songwriters, I hope this encourages you today. It says, they sang the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. I think this is a song that Moses and Yeshua may have written together. And they sang it together. And these are some of the words. Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God, the Almighty. Righteous and true are your ways, King of the nations. Who will not fear you, Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy, for all the nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. So Moses is not just a lawgiver. He's not just a leader. He's also a composer. He's a singer. He has many talents. And he uses all of them to proclaim the goodness of the Lord. At the very moment of crossing the Red Sea, later at Sinai, later at the end of his life, later in eternity. And I think he even was showing us what Solomon would later talk about. It's in Ecclesiastes 3.11. The Lord has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the heart, in the human heart. And yet none of us can fathom all that God has already done and all that he will do from beginning to end. God has made everything beautiful in its time. This is a key to understanding life. Sometimes we need to know its time is coming. It may not be beautiful right now, but things will become beautiful. And God has planted eternity in the human heart. What is eternity? It's that timelessness that includes the past, present, the future, and more than that as well. And so we're allowed to take a glimpse into that world because the Lord puts that in our hearts. God wants to do good for you. Maybe there's a difficulty you're facing. Maybe you're right in the middle of it. Maybe it's been going on way too long as far as you feel. Can anybody relate to that? I want to tell you something. The Lord knows not just the middle of the difficulty. He knows the end. He knows the good. He knows the hope. He knows the future. He knows what he wants to do that's good for you. You can participate more fully in recognizing how to walk by taking Paul's teaching in Philippians and Moses' example and King David's example and Solomon's example 
and you can start remembering and thanking the Lord for what He has done. And if you can't remember anything good that He has done, then remember good that He's done for somebody else. And enter into con felicity, the joy of what other people experience. Finding joy in their joy. Enter into that. But if you can remember what he has done for you, begin to thank him. And those of you who are online, if you haven't written a word of thanksgiving to the Lord with some detail, go ahead and do it now. Don't let this time escape you. And if you can't do it right now, come back later and do it with the video because the video and the uh, comments all sync up when you watch it again. But take time and thank the Lord. Take time and tell other people. Take time and remember what God has done. And I tell you this, it will shape your view of what's ahead. And instead of being one of those folks who just says, oi, or oi vey, You'll be one of those people who says, Todarabah Adonai, thank you so much, Lord. You'll be one of those people who expresses gratitude. You don't just keep it inside. You allow it to grow up and come out and to express it in word, to express it in thought, to vocalize it. And don't just keep it for yourself. Share it for somebody else for their benefit, so that they will know the goodness of the Lord. And that what he did that you can remember, he could also do good for them. And they'll take seriously the God of heaven and earth, the God of eternity, has put things in your heart. Let that shape your sense of your future. And let that give you the confidence that you can even face weaknesses on Kol Nidre, and acknowledge how we've fallen short and vocalize it and join together with us as we confess our sin, knowing that when we confess our sin, He, the Lord, is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. That's the promise of Messiah and that can become our real experience. So let's close with prayer. Lord, we thank you for all the good things you've been doing for us. We want to honor you with gratitude and with thanksgiving. And I pray, Lord, that you would bring to our minds, each of us individually, good that you have been doing, that we could be thankful. And we take heart, Lord, in what you've done for us and what you've done for other people. And we thank you for what's ahead in Yeshua's name. Amen. We're going to close now with Aaron's blessing. Don't forget to join us tomorrow night for Kol Nidre services and Monday morning for Yom Kippur services. Join us here in the sanctuary. If you can't be here with us, you can join us for Kol Nidre online uh, for sure. And we'll also have Yisker Memorial service on Monday after the morning Yom Kippur service, and then online, on live stream, we will have the reading of the book of Jonah at 3 p.m., and then we'll have Nila uh, at 6.30 p.m. 
online. So you can be a part of all of that. And if, if this live stream is a blessing to you and you want to stand with us financially, would you consider making a generous donation? You can find out all the information on our webpage, bethisraelnow.com slash giving. And now we're going to close with Aaron's blessing. Isn't this a bright and colorful Aaron for an Aaron Yes, I went shopping blessing. in the women's section. So okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yivarechecha Adonai v'yishmarecha Ya'er Adonai panavelecha v'yichunecha Yisa Adonai panavelecha v'yasem lecha Shalom. May the Lord bless and keep you. May the Lord cause the light of his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his face to you and give you his peace, his shalom, in the name of Yeshua, the Prince of Peace. Amen. Please join us next door in the Shalom Center. Shabbat shalom, everyone.